Black horror is taking charge of our minds today on Monday Madness. Guillermo del Toro fancies doing only animation in a few years' time. We have a new trailer for Pixar's Elio as well as Janine's non-spoiler review of The Flash and a very special review of The Blackening leading in to today's Let's Talk, all about celebrating the best of the history of black horror. It's always a fun time, it always is. On Monday Madness, welcome to It. That was you, wasn't that? Welcome to It. To it, yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Monday Madness with Dracula and Blackula as we are today. Because that just worked. I thought yeah. that worked. Yes. Even though I'm no, I don't like to think I'm anywhere near as horribly offensive as Dracula in Blackula no. is. <laughs> a deeply unpleasant depiction of yes. Dracula. Every other Dracula is really nice, but this one's know, racist and wants you know. slavery to continue. <laughs> he, he he does. We 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 like most Draculas. We don't like Dracula. Bad Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> he's not a nice person at all. Um, but we are excited as we always are, Janine, to yes. be back. With Monday Madness, because we do have a nice few things to talk about. We've got a couple of reviews from you, because I haven't seen either of these movies. One of which was a movie I really did want to see and do want to see, but isn't out yet yeah. in Britain. And one of the movies we, we spoke enough about over the last couple of <laughs> weeks as to yeah. what, we, uh, what we all think about this one. But we're giving it some time today, because you're going to give a little bit of a review on that fairly major movie as it is. Yes. It has to be said. Um, on today's show as well. Should we just start right on in and ask the question? So, yes. Janine. <laughs> uh, we have a few things up today, Morgan. Oh, um, yes. Starting with what you mentioned up top with Guillermo del Toro wanting to uh, uh, soon really focus in on animation um, yeah, this is some comments he made this week along the lines of he has a couple more live action movies he wants to do one of which i assume is this frankenstein movie that he's yeah. been going on about for ages um the other of which i'm not entirely sure what that may be but Presumably after, you know, working on Pinocchio or his Pinocchio to a ridiculously successful degree. Yes. <laughs> he wants to put a lot of his time purely into animation, um, which I think is really interesting. Obviously, Del Toro's a massive creative force. Yeah. Um, animation is a world is a genre that is constantly evolving in terms of style much more so than live action movies really when you think about it um you can do so much more with animation animation is limitless because it's 
it is anything you could think of imagination yes and it feels very much similar to maybe a bit of what tim burton did it seems like after Possibly, some big yeah. action things, he did kind of delve into more producing of, of animated things. So um, it seems very similar to what he was able to do after, um, you know, purely doing or focusing in on live action. Yeah, but I, I, I like this mentality. I trust near enough everything that Guillermo del Toro will say and will think and will put out yeah i mean especially after uh, and, the success of, of pinocchio it's not surprising yeah. he'd want to kind of continue on with with that media and ridiculously impressiveness or, or the ridiculous <laughs> impressiveness of pinocchio of yeah. pinocchio as well and however many years it took to do something like that it being stop motion and obviously yeah. it taking forever to do because stop motion does take forever to do <laughs> yes. but Guillermo del Toro is Mr. I take forever to do things because I've actually only made about eight movies yet feel like I've done so much more Yeah, because I always talk about doing so much more and have all these ideas. Like I said, he's a massive creative force. Um, and I really like, if he wants to go purely into animation, I have a feeling we'll end up with some pretty stellar animated movies. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I, 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 I have faith in his decision or his mentality to go and do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of a no-brainer choice, I think. <laughs> yes. Well, I did. We just want to bring that up as a little topic first, because we do also have this uh, this trailer, the new Pixar. Oh, yeah. We're about to, or have already, or in the midst of a release of a Pixar movie with Elemental. Um, But we've got a new teaser trailer this week for their upcoming movie called Elio, which seems to be about a small child who gets stuck in space and yeah. has to deal with a load of different alien species. And do we like the look of it, Janine? I mean, <laughs> I, I saw the trailer and wasn't super excited about it. Um, I think the last Pixar movie I was really interested in was Turning Red and anything else kind of in the latter of Pixar, I haven't really been hugely excited about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it looked fine, but nothing like really there to hype me up very much. I do, oh. I do prefer this animation to Elemental. Like, I'm not, I wasn't super even hyped on the idea of Elemental just because I'm really not a fan of how the animation looks. So I haven't seen it yet, but. No, um, we haven't seen Elemental yeah. yet. So we don't really... I mean, it might be a wonderful movie. Yes, but nothing there that really is getting me excited. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I... The, 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 the consistent magic of Pixar was lost many years ago now when you were guaranteed a, a, an absolutely phenomenal animated movie every single time. And because we're spoiled now with the style of animation seen 
in the Spider-Verse movies. We talked about this last week. We, I think, looking at the tried and tested formula of Pixar CG animation doesn't hold the same sense of wonder anymore after seeing that after seeing Spider-Verse coming at, you know, only a week yes. that. I just, I expect animated movies to look like that now. And, and be as ambitious as that, like, yeah. combining all these different animation styles as well as crafting a really interesting story with cool characters and um, really building uh, an interesting world. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, the story looks fun. But nothing there was like, oh my gosh, I have to see that now. So I don't know. <laughs> I think they could, they could almost do with. I still, I still feel like Pixar do a little bit too much. Like have once every three years. Imagine if a Pixar movie was once every three years. You'd feel like they would be consistently great at that point. You know? Yeah, it seems like they've been coming out back to back, really close together. Um, I know a bit of that was due to you know pandemic releases and that yeah. kind of stuff, and you ended up you know with the forgotten few of Pixar, your onwards and your souls and your things like that. Even Turning yeah. Red was a COVID movie, mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, that just seemed to all just drop at the exact same time, and it's just I am almost overwhelmed with Pixar yeah. now. What's what? Who's who? And I've definitely not watched them all. Um, but I feel like it's always it's always better to take more time. And I understand they obviously want to get more movies out there, and perhaps they now are willing to go in any direction really with their you know with their stories because perhaps they've realized that they're not perfect anymore they haven't been for a decade really they've been faltering here and there they've still brought out do not get me wrong some outstanding movies as far as I'm concerned some outstanding animated movies but I think, you know, seeing this trailer less than a week after seeing Spider-Verse has just kind of <laughs> spoiled me. I I, yeah. I I don't mind the, like you said, I don't mind the look of the story of Elio. It seems, you know, kind of a kid just... Thrown into the learning. situation. Yeah, thrown into the situation. It, it's, it seems to be a near future kind of thing, but then he gets trapped in this whirlpool thing and or vortex thing and kind of jets off to some planet somewhere where there's a whole load of different creatures. Yeah, he gets abducted trial by... for being the leader of Earth. Yes, he gets like abducted by aliens and asked to be and they assume he's the leader and he gets asked to like kind of negotiate something on on Earth's behalf. So so you know, whether whether there'll be elements of political stuff in there, you don't know. There might Which Disney be, does might, like to do. Yes, it might be a it might be a, a bit of a 
child's introduction to political politics. beliefs <laughs> and to politics. But it might be. But I, I think, you know, that could be very interesting. That could work really well. It would have to be done in a certain, you know, a certain level of intelligence. And you always tend to have faith that Pixar will do that because you know that they are capable yeah. of doing that sort of stuff. They have a track record for doing that sort of stuff, but they also have a track record for making unnecessarily silly movies that have little substance to them these true. days, which is is a shame. Or sometimes even reading the room entirely incorrectly, like we're all led to believe Soul was, where it just transformed <sighs> its black protagonist into a little ghost. And then he was a cat. And then he was, yes. And, and had a white Tina lady Faze. embodying him for the most majority of the film. Yeah. Tina Fey's fine, we don't mind that, but that's the point. It's just, yeah. you can never be too sure anymore. And I think yeah. maybe once we see Elemental, um, for, for you know, for better or worse, as for good or bad, then we'll have more of a clear indication on the excitement levels for Elio. But we should talk about it. We should be into seeing it because at the end of the day, it is still Pixar and... Yeah who have a pretty decent track record. I just haven't really been excited about their last few films, and I don't know if it's that's no, just... No, I am the same. You know, they didn't really get the attention necessary or, like, other films because of COVID releases and at-home streaming releases and things like that. But even in watching those films, I was able to find something I really enjoyed in Turning Red that I didn't in those other films. So, um, yeah, I mean, Turning Red, you know, Turning Red is a great movie. Yes. And while I'm not a fan of the animation style of Elemental, I'm still like, you know, interested in seeing it. And um, yeah, depending on how that looks and how that story goes, then that might, you know, boost my interest in seeing Elio. But as of right now, like, it's a fun, cute little story, but just very not some much something that's really drawing me in. So yeah, I think that's fair enough. I do. Yeah. Before we get into a couple of reviews, though, um, there is a bit of a bit of news based around the the new DC um, movie slate and movie world and all that kind of stuff, headed by James Gunn, as we often like to talk about on Monday Madness. Um, this is based really to do with the Flash, because the Flash's director, Andy Muschietti has, I believe, now been confirmed to be directing um, Batman the Brave and the Bold, which is going yes. to be, you know, Gunn's version of Batman, aside from Pattinson and Matt Reeves yeah. and all that, that sort of stuff. That doing their own thing. separate thing. Yeah. Um, of which I also think the... Uh, the oh, there's, there's news that the Penguin show with Colin Farrell, as I think now paused due to the writer's strike. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's going to be delays. There has been news of all mm -hmm. the delays as well. I don't even know why the MCU bothers putting years ahead slates out there anymore because they always change. Yeah. They always get 
pushed back and a few brought forward and messed around and moved around. Why do they even bother yeah. trying to excite everyone with, oh, we're going to get Avengers Secret Wars in 2025? Oh, no, wait, no, we're not. We're going to get it in about 2028. Yeah, well, like that because push back, push back, push back, delay, delay, delay. Yeah. Oh, how fun! What's the point? Why don't they just announce just the let it? Yeah, when it's for sure confirmed. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, it's because it never stays the same, does it? I had this issue actually recently with football fixtures, which isn't an exciting topic for you, I'm sure, Janine. But <laughs> Obviously, next season's Premier League fixtures have been announced. So, you know, you see when when United are playing certain teams throughout the season. Mm -hmm. About 20% of them will stay on the days they are currently scheduled on because of other tournaments, because yeah. of European football, because of all this sort of stuff. And it annoys me. Why can't they just do month by month so we know what? No, exactly. When nothing's to... going to, no wiggle room for changes. Announcing we so we're, far we're out. We're all yeah. supposed to be getting excited. Yeah. Uh, to to you know play Arsenal three days before Halloween, but we probably won't play Arsenal three days before <laughs> Halloween now. Yeah. Because we'll be playing in the Champions League on the Wednesday or something like that, and there won't be enough time, and it's all. Silly. It's needless. You don't need to do it so far in front when you know full well it's going to change anyway. It's my feeling on football fixtures and it's my feeling on big slate releases. Like, I don't mind. What do you think anyway about this This Andy Muschietti being, you know, this heading the uh, Batman, the Brave and the Bold? Well, movie? I mean, I... I have liked what i've seen from him i did enjoy both it movies i know people didn't really care for it chapter two but i did enjoy it um and then after you know having seen the flash i think he could competently direct a batman story um i think the story of the flash and uh the character interactions and all of those things and the structure of the story wasn't was was well handled and well done um you know there were other issues that <laughs> plagued the film for sure that were distracting but i don't think that's too much that's that you can fault, speak on the director although yeah. he has come out and said some things about issues in the flash um almost kind of taking responsibility for that aspect of it so i would hope that in this batman movie he uh will be a director who can at least maybe if he is not capable, find somebody who can help him um, figure out how to do things more practically. Because that was definitely what The Flash was lacking, a lot of practicality in terms of fight sequences and action and just a lot of shots in general that could have been done with more practical effects and feeling like um, your characters are really existing in something um, where they just rely way too much on cgi so i would hope that in a batman movie you would definitely not want to focus on heavy cgi and really focus on um making this world feel real um and yeah. i know that's kind of what the matt reeves batman movies are exactly what did, did really well um 
So I hope he can create a world that does make Gotham feel real and grounded. Um, because I know he's really good with character stuff. And, and um, so I, I, I don't think that's in trouble in jeopardy with him directing a Batman movie. But um, kind of the aesthetic elements is what I would have some concerns about. Yeah, well, he's got to make it feel different yeah. to Matt Reeves' stuff as well. Because really, you assume that you assume that the second Batman movie from Matt Reeves is going to do just as well and probably will be just as good. Yeah. As the first one. There's the TV show. That world isn't going anywhere for some time. Yeah. You know, it really isn't. So it's going to come to a point where a Muschietti Batman movie is coming out from the same company that does the Matt Reeves Batman yeah. world. And it can't feel similar to that, but it's then got to compete with that. <laughs> That's true. Really, hasn't it? It's then yes. got to be But I think his as style good, is, is as really good, different. not better, yeah. but different. Yeah. And not well, feel gummy and CG, like um, I'm led <laughs> to believe The Flash does. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think we're... S- fairly safe in that I can see that him and Matt Reeves are very different directors in terms of their style choices. Um, so I see Muschietti really focusing on more character elements in character relationships because I think that is something he really did well with things like It and with um, uh, with The Flash. So uh, okay. I'm, I'm hoping we'll get a lot of good relationship character stuff with a, with a Batman movie from him. And I think that's a really important element. So um, yeah, I, I I think he's a good pick for a Batman movie, and uh, yeah, just just hope he works on his aesthetics. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's all we want, clearly. Yeah. Well, why don't you just get straight on into it, then, Janine? Because let's give a bit bit of non spoiler. Okay. Yes. So yes, but, I um, did see. Give, give your thoughts on the Flash. This is this is going to be. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be... Should I clip this up and use it as your official review, or will you do a separate big spoilery one? Hmm, um, I mean, I think it's good to have a non-spoiler and a spoiler review out I'll there, so we can, we can do both, yes. Um, so non-spoiler review for The Flash, I saw it, and it was really built up, I think. Um and I don't think it lived up to kind of the big built-upness that people were talking. I think the built-upness came out of some interesting cameos that we get in this movie. So those were really fun to see. Um, not the... not uncanny valley and horrible and kind of offensive in I mean, a way of milking dead people. I think they some were. Some people have said that. That's all I'm saying. That yes. Was, some people have come out and said that it felt grotesque. I think they work, but um, because he does go on to defend the CGI in the film when people have criticized it, that when uh, Barry is in kind of this time bubble that he's created, um, the CGI does look a little gummy and weird and like cuts, you know, video game cut scene-ish. And it's meant to look like that because it's not reality. It's like the layers of other realities. It's the layers of what's happening in his mind and layers of time kind of melding together. So it's not supposed to completely look natural. So I'm like, okay, I'll give him that. 
So that's just a very clever excuse. I mean, so I mean, I I could believe that if that was the only time the CGI looked weird, but it's like throughout the whole movie. So um oh. yes, it does look a like it looks clearly like the the people that it's supposed to look like, but it does look like PS3 kind of level cutscene. Yes. <laughs> level anim- animation of, of the characters that we're getting to see. So it was fun, a fun idea to have some of these cameos in here. Um, not saying who, because non spoiler. Yes, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna, I'll leave that to, to you to see for yourself. But, um, uh, yeah, I think that was a fun element. I did like the relationship between the two berries. I think there was a good play off of each other because the berry that we do end up um, meeting from the past is like 18. So he's an 18 year old, uh, excitable, hyper, unfocused <laughs> version of the character having to, you know, be wrangled by the more mature version of the character. And even that version of the character we know to not be incredibly mature. (laughs) Um, So our version of Barry has to kind of mature himself even more in order to wrangle this very young version of himself. Um, So that dynamic... I think um, Ezra Miller should look at this character and put it onto their own life. Yes. Yes, definitely. There were a lot of moments in this film where I was feeling some things about. Yeah, this is this is a is weird it, is parallel. It, is it a case thing. of how can you not see the parallels with your own life? There were a few moments like that actually, where things were happening, and I'm like, uh, this feels like <laughs> things That's that weird. kind of relate to the outside. But um, yes. So I mean, but the dynamic between the two berries, this already kind of bury this trying to be mature having to step up to wrangle this very younger unfocused version of himself uh was a fun dynamic uh really emotional scenes i think were well played with him trying to you know having that focus of wanting to save his mother a really well crafted story in terms of why he goes back um, how it opened with a it opens with kind of a fun set piece as well, and that's where we get our um, Ben Affleck Batman in there. Okay. Um, really keeping it despite earlier iterations kind of being dead in the water of this universe, still connecting it to that and feeling like it relates. So I was worried that they were going to try to find some weird way to cut that tie like sever that tie immediately and just try to do its own thing but no it's still very much grounded in the Zack Snyder verse that was kind of set up yeah um which Uh, I think is fine send off for yes the DCEU then as, as it was called yes um there are some moments in the middle where it does drag a little bit when we are kind of in the um meeting meeting Michael Keaton Batman and then kind of formulating Uh, formulating how we're going to defeat Zod, that whole kind of sequence that happens, that's where things, I think, drag and slow down a little bit. Uh, Michael Keaton was great. It was good to see him again. He feels very much like the character and where he would be at uh, in his older life, especially, you know, at this point, you know, we saw how old uh, Michael Goff was in those movies. So imagine this is a Bruce being on his own without (laughs) an Alfred to take care of him. (laughs) Yeah, so he does feel very much like uh, a reclusive 
Bruce Wayne of the one that we knew in 89 and 92 um, and where he would be without an Alfred living on his own. I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, I recently rewatched those films before going to see The Flash. So, you know, from what I could tell, there was at least a little bit of uh, attention paid to making rooms and and even the Batcave elements look very similar to what was in those movies, okay. which I thought was kind of a cool little thing. Um, uh, uh, Kara, our Supergirl, she was really great, but I think she was a bit underutilized. I would have loved to see more of her. Um, but shit. in the scenes that she was in, she was great. Um, so overall, a well-crafted story. Um, I think it does drag a little bit uh, once we are kind of getting to the um, the Zod stuff. Um, it kind of circles back to um, what our villain ends up being uh, pretty well. Um, and the time travel stuff, I think, works really well uh, also. And yeah, I had fun with it. Uh, the only thing that was just really <laughs> sloppy and distracting really was the CGI. It was very sloppy. Like, she's such a shame. <laughs> you know, uh, think the baby from Allie McBeal, like levels of, of bad in some of in some of these scenes. Yeah, it, it, it makes you wonder how though. Yes, it and makes like you wonder how think after back... so long of a production. <laughs> Yes, like you. There's no excuse. You were in pro post production for so long. There was plenty of time, and I'm sure plenty of money to go back and really clean these things up. Like we can go back to what 1946 with a Betty Davis movie, uh, A Stolen Life, where she's playing twins yeah. and she's playing in in a room against herself at the same time. The Parent Trap movies, both of them when they came out, seamless to yeah. uh, one actress playing the same person together and it looking seamless and clean and just doing stand-in um, type of stuff. Um, the, the Dark Mirror with Olivia de Havilland, I think that's 1948. Yes, and, and, and really thing. good practical effects and camera trickery and things like that that worked so well. But this movie tries to have the two berries really interact more and it looks good in a lot of scenes, but then other ones you can tell there's like a gummy berry face on somebody else. And it just, you can, you can tell immediately. So it just doesn't look right. And I'm like, why not just do practical things where you can or try to clean this up? Because what makes the CGI not look as smooth is because they don't worry about pores and texture. It's all very smooth. And that's why it looks so much like early gummy CGI, especially in the movement and the action. Um, it looks very kind of smooth and gummy because there's no pores, there's no texture really, um, like you've like we've seen in in really advanced CGI films. So I just don't get. There's no excuse for them to not have been able to have the time or even the money to go back and and especially if you are banking on this film, you're already saying that you know despite all the shit with Ezra Miller, we're still going to release this movie because we are trust in how good it is, then why not put your money where your mouth is and put that money into cleaning it up? Because I think if the CGI had looked as clean as it could have looked, I think it would have not been, you know, not have had as much criticism as I think it's getting. Because I think that's the biggest thing for most people is the CGI. Yeah, because it's not as though it's not as though that level of CG is the norm anymore. You know, yeah. there's phenomenal CG 
in a good deal of major blockbuster movies yeah today there's some still has some fairly dodgy cg some fairly <laughs> iffy cg as i would like to say yeah um clearly this is one of them but, but for for something like this it it shouldn't it shouldn't be everybody talking about the fact that it's visually strange to look at it's it's uncanny sometimes visually yeah um and i always think look zack snyder was a was a cg monster wasn't he really he yeah. loved he, he loves cg he loves over stylizing things and, and yeah making things it's all about the visuals yeah look you know the the super slow-mo and all this kind of stuff but I always think that looked good. Yes, it looked really smooth. It looked realistic. Um, he oh, it was heavy. It was clearly heavily CG, but yeah. it was but it was good looking. It was the the same kind of level that you got in the 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 big two Avengers movies, your Infinity War and and, and Endgame. Yeah, the same level that. I suppose it's not this, not quite this level because that you know this movie was a particularly you know unique one. But Avatar: Way of Water, it's that same idea of you're fully aware that it's all CG, but it still looks looks incredible because there's a focus on pores and texture and coloring and and tones and all of these different things, but. Everything That's what I always just thought looked so anyway. Yes, everything in this just looked so smooth and flat, and you could totally tell. And like it felt like there were things that could have been done. Like I talk about, you know, the one actor playing two characters in the same scene. Things yeah. that could have been done practically, things that like even fight sequences that could have been done with stunt people. Cause like the MCU has a, an insane amount of stunt things that they do with wire works and stunt doubles and all of these things. And it looks really real or doing like bird's eye view shots. And I'm thinking about like the um, black widow fight scene in the hallway and stuff like that in, um, yeah. in, in Iron Man two. Um, and you know do your fight scenes in dynamic shots if you don't want to like worry about showing people's faces um especially with the batman stuff because he's one who's doing hand-to-hand -hand fight stuff yeah. he's not doing anything super crazy like supergirl I or you know but i suppose in a, in a way you you have got to heavily rely on cg fighting yeah. for someone like the flash because He's sprinting at the speed of light everywhere. Yes, but think of something like Sherlock Holmes, those slow-mo fight scenes with Robert Downey Jr. punching somebody and we're seeing the slow-mo. You know, they could yeah. have worked with his slow-mo and shown those things with a very And then I suppose kind of you effect. all you you also think of those Evan Peters Quicksilver scenes in the X-Men movies that yes. were really quite good. Yes, and they did a lot of and that is a heavily CGI scene, but they did a lot yeah. of practical things as well. Like they had people just those items that were floating tied to strings and stuff like that. Um, so there was some combination of the two, but it felt like it was just so reliant on the CGI. So like even scenes of Batman fighting, 
felt a bit gummy gummy movement like he wasn't really there or there wasn't really a stuntman in the suit doing these actions so even stuff like that just felt like come on like use stunt people use wire work do something to make this feel grounded and real like it's existing and i'm not just watching this video game cutscene. so there were moments where i felt like practical stuff could have been used and it felt like it was just too reliant on the cgi so that was probably the biggest issue for me that pulled me out of the movie but story-wise i think the story was pretty well focused pretty well done aside from some uh slower moments bruce wayne michael keaton great um i think ben affleck was good as well uh, i think ezra miller did a good job in terms of having to play off of, of themselves and um having to play the emotion of barry losing his mother and all of that and you know wanting to save his father he had a lot of scenes and kind of this developing relationship with iris west so that brought in some fun comedic elements and even the stuff with barry and barry brought in a lot of fun comedic uh, moments as well um, I thought the idea of the cameos were fun. And I felt like if you're going to kind of go for that, go all the way with it. Um, and also, yeah, just make the CGI better. Cause, <laughs> uh, you know, I can, it didn't bother me as much because it was in that kind of whole time bubble that, you know, yeah. was described as things not meaning to look super clean. It's meant to be this melding of things. Um, but I get what people would say about it looking kind of uncanny valley-ish. <laughs> um, but I, I had fun kind of seeing the different things that kind of were popping up there. Um, so overall, I enjoyed the film. There is a post-credit scene, so stay Naturally. <laughs> um, and yeah, overall enjoyed it. I think it was built up a little too much. I think it's because of all the little fun things that are sprinkled throughout it is what made people kind of have this great kind of idea on it so it is would, not the greatest dc movie of all time no i think it's maybe up there for me it might crack okay. my top five of the dceu films but definitely oh no i mean like dc all dc oh, all DC time all because time. people were saying dc all time it was best i wouldn't movie. say dc all time no um not um, close really i mean it's in it's in the conversation but i don't think it's been mm, okay. a lot of things so um yeah i enjoyed the flash i think it's a fun movie i think it's a fun idea i think it's a good story i think the performances are good um but the cgi lets it down it's a little too long and lulls in parts um but some good character dynamics um and some fun little easter eggs in there so Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. That's well. That's one non-spoiler <laughs> review, time, Janine. Um, you do. You did promise another one. Yes. So this was a this movie. Was for a reason. <laughs> this was a movie you mentioned on a Monday Madness <clears throat> weeks ago, um, when we were kind I of talking about I, our I, most anticipated movies, and this was your yes. most anticipated movie. I think um, this was at the very start of the year. Yes, we were talking, I think, our most anticipated movies of the year. And this was one that you had brought up. And uh, so it's this Juneteenth um, <laughs> release. Not for you. Apparently, you're not getting this film until August, which is so ridiculous. Um, but I saw The Blackening, this really funny kind of meta black uh, horror movie. Um, 
a lot of fun. We're a bunch of friends go to a cabin in the woods to stay for the weekend. They find this creepy game called blackening. They start playing the game and one by one ask questions that could cause them to all get killed. And so it's a whole big thing playing into black blacks and horror tropes, which is a lot of fun. Um, so non-spoiler review here. I really enjoyed this movie. I did expect it to be more like laugh out loud funny, which it wasn't, but it was still very much like relatable chuckle to yourself at a lot of things funny. Okay. So there are a lot of things that like, if you're a black person, if you know black people, if you understand kind of the black lexicon and black conversation, even you can get something out of it and be like, okay, I get that. Um, just so just some really funny jokes in terms of what black people do and how they really feel about things, but they don't really say out loud. Um, the dynamic between the cast, I think was really fun. They all had great chemistry. You felt like they were all friends who've known each other for years and really razz each other about stuff and all kind of have different, different fit, different facets of, of black people you might know. Um, and so that they have fun kind of playing with that when they're going throughout the game and calling each other out for certain dynamics with each other and aspects about each other that make them more black or less black or whatever. Um, it, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like it gets the tone that, that I think I was expecting that I think I was looking yeah. for that, that I think I wanted from it. Yes. Um, which is good. It, it, I suppose it's good that because it could come off as quite offensive, really. I suppose yes. <laughs> and, and and highly stereotypical. But if you're, you know, towing that line of actually playing off of those stereotypes, yeah, making fun of them while enacting them, and it becoming yes. an in joke, then. Yes, it's the whole movie is a big in-joke that you're chuckling to yourself at. So there's nothing in here that's inherently like laughing out loud, but there's several yeah. things that are just like laughing to yourself because you just get it. And it's so on point with the Black experience in terms of how they are in horror films and just everyday like Black people things in terms of how they view media and um, how they view each other. And it's, so it's a lot of fun because you have stuff about, you know, gay Black people and uh, more white people presenting as they're called black people and biracial black people um black people from africa <laughs> um okay. dark skin black people light skin black people um you know black people who grew up kind of in the hood with a kind of a gangster lifestyle like with guns and gangbang and stuff like that and so um yeah you're dealing with all different kind of aspects of different types of black people and how um that plays into how they view each other when this game kind of pushes them to that and it's done in a really fun real way <laughs> um well, and I, on top of <laughs> like the game element of it as well because you know maybe this is just because we have come off of a game movie scene. yes so the game is not the whole movie the game is like okay. a decent segment of the movie and then we get into more of the horror aspect so this movie delves into some really fun kind of tropey things without sacrificing the horror so we do get some good horror moments as well some scary moments blending really well with the comedic moments and yeah again this cast just has really great chemistry together it's believable that they're friends and know each other really well and uh just have fun kind of poking at each other but generally there's some love there um 
we do set up kind of a contentious dynamic with some of the characters uh, as well at the beginning. So that's kind of something that plays in seriously and uh, comedically throughout the story. Um, so I had a lot of fun with the blackening and kind of, I'm in the mindset right now, if I had the choice to see the flash again or the blackening again, I'd probably go see the blackening again. So I do hope people go out and see this movie and support it. It has a very limited amount of screens and show times, uh, but it's a lot of fun. I think it deserves some love. It deserves to be checked out. So, uh, yeah, I think people should go check out the blackening and celebrate today, Juneteenth. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, of Happy yeah. Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. <laughs> I suppose we should be saying. I should have said that at, at the, the top of the of show. The show yes. Sake. I forgot what date it was. Sorry. I'll blame the fact that I forgot what we don't date. record on the days that you know. Certainly but, not. Certainly yeah. not. Um good. I like that. <laughs> It, I, I like that it seems to be what it should have been. Yeah. And you saying all that has just made me doubly excited to actually go and watch this movie for myself because it sounds like a great installment into the history of black horror. Yes. A, a, a new installment that it is and a comedic installment. Because yes. I think modern black horror has been decidingly uncomedic. <laughs> yeah. It has its glimmers, but Great. mostly. Yeah. Great, but uncomedic. Yeah. And it's nice that uh, something like the blackening can come along and throw the comedy into horror as well, because that's obviously a big part of horror's history, is its intermingling with the humorous and yeah. the terrifying. Great. I like that. Yes. Applause for the blackening then, Janine. Yes, yes. Good. Good. It weaves us nicely into our Let's Talk for today that, as we wanted to have a discussion on the best of black horror throughout history, as it is... Obviously, we're both horror fans, big horror yes. fans. Yeah. <laughs> we are somewhat studied on black horror, given uh, history, historical series on Morgan Hasn't Seen, and even some episodes of its wonderful podcast, The Main Show. Yes. We like to get into that particular subgenre, that particular section. Yes. I, I was really. I was really excited when we did a black horror kind of series. I think we did. Uh, we did a bunch of genre films, uh, you know, all about black people. And so we did black action and black uh, and black romance. And so then we did delve into some black horror, which I think was really fun. So it was. It also, you know, obviously uh, gifted us. One of our, I think, one of our mutual favorite movies. Yes. We have these movies every so often, don't we? Yeah, we that do. We, we, we cover on, on one of the shows that we just both latch onto so much for seemingly no real reason. Sometimes it's because it's a great movie. I think most of the time it's because it's a great movie. But there's individual ones that maybe don't be the best movie. Yeah. But for some reason, it just hits a spot 
and that particular series of Morgan hasn't seen gifted us with a viewing of Blackula. Yes. <laughs> which is truly one of the best and most ent- entertainingly enjoyable vampire movies you could yes. wish for. Because you hear the name and you think it's going to be a little bit ridiculous. It's in the black exploitation era, so you think, okay, it is a black exploitation. Yes, and you you think it's going to be wholeheartedly a little bit silly, like those films, violent. Your characters are going to be uh, caricatures or stereotypes, um, without any kind of you know. While those black exploitation films are a lot of fun, your characters are very much. Um, kind of pigeonholed as one thing there's not a lot Absolutely of depth to them that's um, always the conversation when it comes to the black exploitation yes it, so it has its good and bad given the fact yeah. that it depicts near enough everybody as blatant stereotypes however yeah. it's the first instance of a lot of these types of people being in such major movies yes black people getting their own genre of film getting to be highlighted getting to be movie stars um getting to have their own film film world um and certainly and the action heroes are, the action heroes in in black exploitation movies i think are far less stereotyped than the villains yeah by the way yeah you know john shaft really is just a hard-nosed hard-talking detective vigilante kind of character yeah the villains he comes up against are the stereotypes <laughs> oh yeah the, know, pimps the, the, all that. the pimps and the drug the lords drug dealers, the stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah think of every pam greer character coffee yes. and poxy brown and all this kind of stuff she's not really a stereotype but everybody she comes across is yeah of all those people in Coffee King George. Oh my gosh, this and kind this whole of stuff. theme I mean, I've song never seen a larger up. stereotype in my entire I've all, I've also never seen a larger something else in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, those George, pants were tight. Real tight. <laughs> far too tight, but yes. That's not the point, um is it? but <laughs> Blackula, <laughs> I mean <laughs> so Blackula like going into that movie expecting it to be movie. yes, expecting it to not have as much to say as it does not assigning it to be purely as romantic as it is not assigning it to uh william uh, marshall to have so much gravitas and just engage you and take over that screen um he is so sexy in that movie so sophisticated uh just even from the beginning. And I love that he had so much say and input in who this character was. And I think that's what informed the trajectory of this movie, not just being kind of surface level silliness or being so based in stereotypes. And these characters actually felt real. Um, The fact that he chose to make uh, his character a prince, an African prince who, or king or, you know, dignitary who wanted to, you know, his whole point was trying to lobby and talk with the actual Count Dracula to abolish slavery and how are we going to work together to get this done. But Dracula is like, no, slavery is great. Don't want to end it. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Yes. Yes. And he doesn't want it to. So to the point where he turns this prince into a Dracula and, and kills him essentially. Into a Dracula. Well, essentially <laughs> into, into a vampire. It's the reasonable <laughs> yes. word to say. Yeah. That was, uh, that sounded, you know what that sounded like? That sounded like a toddler saying, a you're a Dracula. 
Well, I mean, I think they the the word association is so intertwined; it's very hard to. No, I know. I just keep making sense. Just... <laughs> like you know what I mean when I say that. But I, yes. I know exactly what you mean. Correct I just me. Correct that me. Phrase and, and found it funny. <laughs> yes, but then he, of course, he's called Blackula, so he's he's obviously he is, some, he is a Dracula. some you are right. connection to Dracula. So yes, Dracula doesn't want to deal with having to end slavery, so he just turns this man into a vampire, only for him to be found in a woken and now looking for his his bride that you know he was with when he you know uh was with dracula so he finds this woman who is kind of the reincarnation of of yeah. his lost love and tries to woo her and that's kind of it's very much like uh um like imutep <laughs> all of the yeah, mummy it's like the mummy Yes, it's it's exactly like the mummy. It's it's the story. It's that story, really, isn't it? Yes, but being uh, unfairly killed, reawoken, and you're finding the reincarnation of your love interest from yes, essentially it is the same. And um, but I think because of William Marshall, you are definitely sympathizing with his Blackula more than you are with uh, Imhotep, uh, for sure. So. Maybe not in Boris Karloff's case. I sympathize with mind you, Boris Karloff. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the Brendan Fraser. I know I'm you're talking, talking about Brendan yeah. Fraser, but I naturally gravitate. Go, of course you do. Karloff's the mummy. <laughs> of course you do. Um, yes, I mean, obviously, Motep in Brendan Fraser's the mummy is a little bit over the top and. Sending all these minions on people. Yes, and then the plagues and all this. Yeah, um, there's no need for it all. Yes. So, you know, just to sustain himself, that's when we do get our horror elements with him actually, uh, you know, biting people and sucking their blood and killing people and well, all that. Well, my sign today, Jenny, my sign. <laughs> yes. I'll have a Bloody Mary, which is yes, when he's quote. And he says that in a cool nightclub. And, like, I love that there was a whole point. If you do watch the great documentary um, Horror Noir, they do actually have a whole segment where they get into Blackula and kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And the director, um, William Crane, is talking about there was this whole scene of this club and they wanted the white people and the black people to be separate on the dance floor. But he was very much about let's integrate the people and have them all mixed together dancing um so yeah. just even things like that were a bit of a fight for him being the only black woman black woman black man behind the scenes uh of that set um so the fact that he was wasn't know, he yeah and he he was the director yes and so the fact is... that he had no one else like him on that set to help him make these decisions or to fight with him to just get these little things in there um he had kind of an uphill battle but i think the the fact that he was able to win the little battles with william uh marshall like making that character a prince a nobleman yeah and um being able to just integrate the dance floor um really spoke to um kind of taking steps to really uh, establishing, you know, black people and their importance and their contributions to film sets and, and in film. So, uh, yeah, if you watch horror noir, you really get a lot more insight about just how important this movie was in terms of black depictions in horror. So, William Marshall just so great in this movie and absolutely fell in love with him. Fell in love with the story. He was just so smooth and slick and. Um, you know, and then even kind of scary in the moments where he is is you know full blackula mode and yeah, he a great he doesn't look exactly suave and slick and all, all <laughs> no, it's, it's his blackula face. He's got his blackula face on. 
yes, he's a very hairy looking horrible, <laughs> horrible sideburns and yes, and like unibrow kind of, and a yeah. bushy face and yes, he looks kind of crazy. But you know, a very iconic horror shot as well with that uh, vampire woman running, uh, running down the hallway. Yes, to in kill that Elisha slow-mo. Cook Jr. Yes, 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 we like that. Yes. Uh, so yeah, great mix of horror, gothic romance, and just a push forward for Black people in horror with Blackula. It's so good, so good. It, it, I mean, it it really is. You think because of the genre of movie it falls into, the style of movie it falls into, the time in which it came out, it would just be exploitative. It would be schlocky. It's yeah. so much more. It's yes, really, I was expecting full schlock, and it was it's so much more. It's a really well crafted vampire movie. It's a really, yeah. it's got intelligent things to say, important things to say, while being just a really damn fun vampire movie as well. Yes. It's 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 great that you can get something like that. Obviously, only a few years after. Night of the Living Dead, which is often considered a, a turning point for black people in horror simply because your lead is Dwayne Jones, your lead is a black man, and George Romero always said... Having that, this accidental commentary. Yeah, it was, it was entirely accidental, yet you feel like it couldn't have been done any other way, particularly yes. the ending of the movie. Right? How it ends and how that plays so much into these deeper themes, especially in the time it came out. And George Romero literally just, I just picked the best man for the job. And the fact that it yeah. becomes this this cultural interpretation of things is so interesting. I can only assume George Romero picked Dwayne Jones and then highlighted a, a few elements of the movie to say hmm what if we what if we make it a little bit about race as well yeah so let's do that um and god they certainly did do that i mean it's a ridiculously powerful movie yes now the living dead for again being a fun zombie movie really but it's yes. such a, such a poignant one such a powerful one such a really heavy emotional claustrophobic tension-fueled kind of horrible little movie at times because it's just people arguing with each other all the time and and, yes and and he and everything's a battle yes and then just the anger kind of building up between these characters and the tension building up on top of what's going on outside and then even having this remake now purposefully having tony todd in like one of his very few hero roles which i love to see because if you think through tony todd's career he is never a heroic character so the fact that he's this dwayne jones uh, embodiment he was such perfect casting for that and to see this purposeful now version of what Romero kind of did on accident uh was great to see as well um so I like kind of yeah move, going to the 90s version and we're in a different world we're in a different time but um now we're really casting this black man for reasons for iconic reasons so it's just we we shouldn't ever you know, forget the the importance of Dwayne Jones's casting, though, because yeah. you know, for, for for the history of 
of, of, of black people in horror movies because without him, you might still be at the same level you were at with black people in horror movies before Dwayne Jones was cast in Night of the Living Dead, where the only real depiction you got, aside from, you know, perhaps the the independent world of black movies that did exist in in you know the time we consider old hollywood they certainly weren't major motion pictures but there was a black movie industry um aside from in those in major horror movies the only things you get in are things like i walked with a zombie which is just about haitian zombies yeah and voodoo and you and get into those like voodoo that. stereotypes and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a good movie, but it is just very, here are all the black people, they're all voodoos, they're all zombies, here yeah. they all are. It's yeah. 1942. Yes. Um, so thank God that Dwayne Jones gives such a deeply real, authentic performance yeah. in Night of the Living Dead. Which weirdly transforms okay black people in horror in the early seventies into a black exploitation world with Blackula, but you don't you almost don't get that in the early seventies without those late sixties. Yeah. yeah, and that was the thing with horror. It happened in many genres. Every genre: comedy movies, major comedy movies, major action movies, everything. Particularly in the sixties. Yeah. Even some as far back as the 50s. Even in the 40s. A yeah. little bit. Little hints. Little hints. But it, it there's a trajectory. Um, and that late 60s, early 70s period is so important in, in the Western movie world for so many reasons. Yeah. Certainly for this race reason as well. Um, but it's weird that, you know, the black exploitation horror movies, Blackula is such a it's a standout with the ones that I have seen. There's certainly ones that I haven't seen that I do want to see. There's a movie called Abby, which oh, is yes, essentially yes. like a black mm -hmm. exorcist yeah. movie. Um and other stuff like Blackenstein, which is supposed <laughs> to be awful. Yeah, it was it's it's not said to be very good. And um, is, is it Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde? Yeah. Which, is that also... I think it's also uh, William Crane as well. William Crane directed I it. I think so. Um, but a movie I, I should mention, and I do want to mention, it might be horror adjacent, but it's, it, it's J.D.'s Revenge, which I think is a really, a really quite interesting little weird black exploitation movie kind of late black exploitation because mm -hmm. it's 76 okay but it's essentially a possession movie so like a young unassuming law student yeah um played by glenn turman i think is his name gets possessed by the spirit of a, a really disgusting gangster from the 40s um, you know, a black gangster, yeah, forties, but like that. JD is the gangster's name, um, and he possesses this student to 
enact his revenge on those who murdered him and all this kind of stuff. Okay. Or, or the descendants of those who murdered him. It's a possession revenge story. But there's horror elements in there because there's the disassociation sort of thing, the loneliness yeah. that comes from I forget I forget the actual main character's name now from Glenn Turman the student. He gets very isolated. He kind of, you know, his girlfriend sees changes in him, but of course he doesn't remember the changes because he's been possessed at this time. Yeah. And he just everything's a blackout when he gets possessed. Yeah. And it's kind of it's one of those situations. It's a really quite interesting movie. It's not perfect. There's better black exploitation movies out there. But it, it's it's definitely well worth watching. It's really interesting and really quite nasty because yeah. some of the stuff that JD the gangster actually mm. does and says and yeah. is shown to have done is like seriously horrible stuff. Uh, okay. Um and he doesn't hold back. He's a real piece of work, really. But I, I find it a very interesting movie. I mean, Blackula even had its sequel, didn't it? Scream, Blackula, Blackula Scream. Scream, yeah. Which is not as good as Blackula, but he's still he's, he's not bad. It's got Pam Greer in it. Yeah. That's about voodoo, actually, isn't it? <laughs> yes, Scream, I Blackula, think it is. Green's got a bit of yeah. Pam of which it's, it's not bad to it's not a bad thing to have voodoo in there. Where's Craven no. Serpent and the Rainbow? Yeah. Um, which is adjacent to black horror. It treats yes. the voodoo as very it doesn't treat the voodoo stereotypically. It no. treats it as just there there it is, there's the fact, you know, this well, exists. Speaking and of Wes Craven. It's certainly yeah. a heavy horror movie and is yes. uh, Pretty, pretty decent one at that. I think it's still probably underseen as far as Wes Craven movies go. Um, yeah, with his whole and, kind of Bill uh, catalog. So yeah. Bill Pullman's the lead and Wes Craven directed it, so whether you can call it a true black horror movie, I don't think you can. Well, I mean, well, something I think that Wes Craven did that you can is um, The People Under the Stairs. But it's because um, it's the best movie ever. It's so good. I mean, I was so excited to show you this movie when we did Morgan Hasn't Seen because I knew this was going to be very much up your alley. It was going to have all of the the fun kind of creepy horror elements you were going to like and also a great social commentary. I mean, this movie delves into gentrification very much like Candyman does, another movie that I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, well, it's a double feature with Candyman people. Yes. I always say yes. That. Yes. Um, but yeah, you have this young black kid and wanting this better life for his family and living with his grandfather and his sister. And I believe his mother also, you know, is, is sick and um, their whole neighborhood is getting gentrified by this awful white couple who just are disgusting, deplorable people. Um, him and Ving Rhames go and sneak into the house to get some type of, you know, money or something that these people have in the house, ultimately getting trapped in there. And so now this kid is stuck in this house with these crazy people. And uh, yeah, so we have, you know, our hero being this young black kid who, you know, is poor and, you know, trying to make a better life for his family, fighting, fighting throughout this house with these crazy people. And so it's really some fun, scary elements in there. Um, but just having a cool, 
new idea of what your hero could be. Um, yeah. So absolutely, turns, absolutely love that movie. A, turns it into the darkest fairy tale you could wish for. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a, you know, there's a girl he has to save. There's yeah. monsters he has to defeat. Yeah. There's seeming monsters who turn into allies that he has to team yes. with. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what's his name? Is he called Toad? What's his no. name? <laughs> Toad. No, it's not it's Toad. Not toad is no. Cold. Him in the wall. Yes. Who um he's actually directing a movie that uh, my friend Roxy. <laughs> Roxy's Dryer. He is starring yes, I saw in. that. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's not cold. What's his name for God's No, sake? I never remember. No. no. Are you sure it's not Toad? It is not Toad. Sean Whalen plays Sean Whalen. Sean Whalen does play him, yeah. Um, Roach. But, <laughs> Roach. Roach. Sounds like Toad. <laughs> okay. Roach. Toad. Some kind of creature. <laughs> some some little scuttly creature. Yes. Um, but the 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 people under the stairs of the title themselves are essentially just kind of deformed creatures who the couple just keep locked in the basement. Yeah. And treat like I don't I forget even what they are. It's been some for some reason it's been too long since I've seen the movie. Yeah, it's been a while. Um they're just people that they've locked down there and they've just been down there and not but where treated. Where they come from? I forget where they come from. Are they the children? I think they're children. Yeah. There's, there's, there, no, are they their children or are they like. Because there's an incestuous thing going on, isn't there? Oh, no, there's that. The, the girl. The girl the is girl. their mm -hmm. child. Rada. Yes, the girl that's locked in there is their daughter. The girl's their child. And there's, there's a weird incestuous thing going on. It's very creepy. It's a great movie. But like you said, it, it does have those race elements to it as well yeah um those and and Wes Craven is is low-key into telling those stories yeah um maybe with Serpent and the Rainbow as well treating voodoo with quite a lot of legitimacy uh that he does in that although he does get weird and obviously he gets weird and people do you know dead people do walk <laughs> about being alive and Wait, you died three weeks ago. Yeah, but I'm not really dead, so I'm going to help yeah. you realize why. But you actually are dead, aren't you? Yes, I am dead. <laughs> but you're not really a zombie. No, I'm not a zombie. It's voodoo. It's a different thing. Yeah, so I still haven't seen that one, so I do need to watch it's it. A different thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he does have a lot of respect for plaques in cinema. I mean, he also did A Vampire in Brooklyn, which he is did, just a, yes. a movie you kind of forget is a Wes Craven movie um, with... Uh, Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett and uh, not one of my favorites like if you're kind of going to go black vampire but it's decent yeah I think we yeah, that was a part of our black horror that we did discuss on Morgan hasn't seen um, yeah it's like a solid story and um, uh, yeah like I like that he delves into Eddie Murphy's able to kind of do his comedic thing while also being this dark character I think I he had a lot John of input and fun in <laughs> yes yes um, 
and there's lots of physical comedy he you know with his familiar kind of falling falling to pieces throughout the film uh angela bassett being great as getting caught up in in the trance of eddie murphy's vampire and um yeah so lot lots of great uh gothic elements in there and seeing you know black vampires i like seeing black vampires we need more black vampires um but also i gotta get the it works yeah i don't see what i don't see what different doesn't make any difference really does it just have it, it can offer more sometimes yes um but also, just I, I need to give Wes a nod for Scream Two, the blackest movie in the Scream franchise. The blackest Scream movie, Scream Two, particularly yes. of course the opening of Scream. The opening, too. so good. Um, which is there is a nod to in the blackening. So I do. I okay. Yeah, you, um, you yes, you have these two black characters talking about blacks and horror, blacks and film. Great like commentary dynamic between the two of them so i love that there's an understanding there to have this meaningful conversation about with these characters because these characters obviously are dying at the beginning of the film uh you know but they do something like they do with with casey becker you spend time with this character for a very short period of time but you get to know her you get to care about her you get to understand her a little bit even though she's very limitedly in this film so even just with these two characters, you understand their dynamic, you understand that they care about each other and, and, you know, they have this really interesting view about people like them in horror movies and people like them in media in general. And so the fact that you get this really interesting conversation, because you you really don't need that, but to put that in there, I think is really smart and fun and fleshes out characters that, you know, aren't going to mean much to the rest of the story, but mean something to people like me who love seeing representation and love, you know, seeing conversations like this be had so i think that's really special and then to have characters like hallie and uh joel the cameraman being the smartest person in any screen movie to be like people are getting killed getting the hell out of town and that was the actor dwayne jones's um or uh dwayne dwayne martin I'm thinking about Dwayne Jones. Uh, Dwayne Martin. You who should played. be thinking about <laughs> yes. Dwayne Jones. There's another Dwayne Jones yes. movie I did want to bring up as well. Uh, Dwayne Martin, who played Joel, it was his idea. He's like, so I think Joel should just get the hell out of town. I think Joel should just leave. And Wes Craven asked him, well, how would he leave? And he says, in a cab. <laughs> so sure enough, when Joel leaves, you see him walking towards the cab. So there just brilliant. And Hallie, um, a great best friend character, you know, we had iconic Tatum. So then her kind of stepping in those shoes and being this great support system, uh, having some of the best lines and comedic moments in the movie. And again, just peak representation for me in, you know, after seeing the first movie and falling in love with it. And then to go to the second movie, seeing all the people who look like me having important things to do and interesting things to say was just super special for me so just shout out not a, not wholly a black horror movie but the blackest screen movie and i do have so much appreciation for it for that so yeah well absolutely you should you, know, you, you did mention dwayne jones again <laughs> yeah I, I did yes. feel i should mention um another I suppose black vampire movie, which is Ganja and Hess, Bill Gunn's oh, Ganja. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I think is also 1973, so it's the same year as Blackula. It's a terrible double feature with Blackula. Don't do it as a <laughs> double feature with Blackula. You couldn't get two more different vampire movies yeah. if you wanted to. Blackula's 
kind of well he's dynamic and fun and kind of a bit brash isn't it and yeah kind of in your face entertaining it's got a great soundtrack blackula as well i have, I have yeah. some songs from i think it's the hughes yeah and who's the band? Isn't though there's like an actually known band in the yeah the who's Co- the who's corporation? That's okay. what I was saying. That's that's the the the, the band they all dance to. I'm yeah. gonna catch mm-hmm. you and all lots songs and yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, I have some on a playlist. Uh, <laughs> of course you do. You were such a folk well, fan. <laughs> I think I think Ganja and Hess came out the same year, and where Blackula is all. In your face entertaining ganja and hess is kind of m- methodical and it's almost student film like but dwayne jones is is your lead i forget who the female lead is in it now um i'll have to have a look at that because that's going to deeply annoy me <laughs> but it's basically an addiction movie they just happen to be vampires addicted to blood yeah it's treated and, and like that's a, a really yes and that's a really smart way to go about it especially when it's that black exploitation era and like a big theme of those movies it's, is drug the thing drug is lords and all of that it is not a black exploitation movie it does yes. not fall under that genre whatsoever it is a black movie from that time but it cannot be considered a black exploitation movie um it's a really really interested movie yeah. A movie that I think you have to be in a certain type of mood to watch because what? I mm-hmm. did try and do it with a double feature with Blackula. And it just and didn't. It, it, the vibes didn't were not work. working. It didn't work. But I went back and watched it another time and realized just really how interesting a movie it is. I mean, it's not, yeah. it, it's raw. I think it Marlene was the only Clark. thing built. Marlene Clark, I think it was the only thing Bill Gunn ever directed. He's also in the movie. He has a really quite in-your-face nude scene in the movie, by the way, Bill Gunn, the own director, as though he just wants to expose himself. Okay, yeah. Which is a bit just like, okay, there's okay, his penis, that's, that's fine, right? That's great, Move okay. on, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to treat your your vampire story as being an addiction story and treat it as painfully seriously as Ganger and Hess treats yeah. it is is so interesting. Something really that you don't see in vampire movies yeah. to that level. Um it's a it's I think it's a great movie. Um but one I think certainly you do have to be in the right mood mood for yeah um dwayne jones does have a nice beard in it though yes i i haven't watched it but i've seen pictures and clips from it and i'm like okay hey dwayne looking kind of good with that beard (laughs) no i think we should uh we should speak about the uh the modern world of black horror yeah as it's had a little rebirth as it were Thanks really to one person, but a, a couple of others as well. Yes, yeah. Um, with most of what Jordan Peele's been behind with Get yeah. Out and Oz in particular. Mm, nope. Obviously. Yeah. Nope. 
you can consider a horror movie if you want to. I don't think it's as obvious, obviously. No, it's not it as leans obvious more as into the sci-fi than the, than it's the horror It's a sci-fi elements. adventure, kind yeah. of pseudo-Western, almost. Um, nope, about grand spectacle and things like that. Yeah. And show showpieceness. Yes. If that's a word, that's not a word, but that's what it's about. Sky Get Dark. Out and Us are pure horror movies. Yeah. And people still overhate us. Why yes. do people not us? Us is really good. Do people think the ending's weird, the hands across America? I think And that's probably. kind of the whole thing that they're building to. But and and I think the fact that the, the people from below the, the 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 other people, the doppelganger people that live in the mirror dimension underneath the funfair, they just want to take over. That's why they want to do the hands thing because it's yes. all they know because it's all they ever hear on the speaker system. Yes, the but then I think it's also seemingly the bad guy wins kind of thing. But oh, it's the thing is, the bad guy yes, wins, yeah. but the fact that you see the looming hands of America behind her as she's driving away, like, does she really win? That's going to follow her wherever she goes. And I think they're all going to know that she's supposed to be one of them and she's not, you know, and that whole kind of thing. So it's, a good, it's such a great uh, twist as well. Yeah. Us being that. You know, Lupita Nyong'o was actually the doppelganger the whole time, the whole time. and it was sweet. But she was a child, yes. but you never knew, and you thought it was the other way around. And that's why doppelganger Lupita Nyong'o was so intense. Yeah. That's way more intense than the rest of them, and the rest of them were weird anyway. I don't remember much of what doppelganger Winston Duke did. He was probably just battering around. Yeah. Winston like, Duke tends to do because he's about eight foot four yes and he's a big old man 250 <laughs> pounds but he's a big man yeah but lupiti nongo in us is 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 on another level and yes. i remember a few weeks ago i temporarily forgot she existed in that movie and i temporarily <laughs> forgot that movie existed because that's how my brain works sometimes <laughs> i'll remember things and go oh god that was really good let's obsess over that for yeah. half an hour and then totally forget about Leave it your brain yeah. that happens yes but i think the one that definitely deals into black commentary of course is get out um of course it is uh just so is smart it the is it the best black horror movie i mean or from does that title go to Candyman? i mean it's, that's tough. That's tough because I think the messages of Get Out are so well laid out and executed and the fact that this uh, horror towards Black people comes out of this twisted admiration for them. Yeah. And jealousy of them the, and the want to be like them. them. Yes. The fetishizing yes. of them almost. Yeah. And that's such an interesting commentary um, to take with it. Um, so I, I, I would have to maybe lean towards more towards Get Out just because of what it's speaking to. And also just having the ending that is just so cathartic. Um it, you know, it is. It's such a <laughs> it's such a relieving ending, really. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, although there was that alternate ending. Yeah, it was, was very miserable, disappointing. Yeah. You, you almost disappointing, yes, but I suppose real. If real, you really can, yeah. Really effective, yeah, but undeniably miserable for yeah him to end up just getting. I suppose getting the uh, Ben in Nightmare in Nightmare on Elm Street. I was about to say <laughs> Night of the Living Dead treatment. Yeah, wasn't he? Really? Yes. Yeah. So I think Good I don't know shot. if there. Yeah, got another one there. Oh, put him on the fire. Oh, that's yes. nice. Yeah, a great oh, way to end so the movie. Sad. So sad. Leaves us all in a state of despair, doesn't it? Thank God. Yeah. The, thank God the theatrical movie of Get Out ends the way it does with what's his name, Ron. Roy, what's his name? The fella, the 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 other dude, the mate, the fe- the friend, Who? the guy, Rod, Rod, Rod of the Ron. TSA. <laughs> it's Ron. It's Ron. Ron's here. Ron's. Here. I believe it's Rod of the TSA. Rod of the TSA. Sorry. Yes. Um, I was nearly right. You could see why I thought he was called Ron. Yeah, I guess Ron's a good <laughs> best friend. Yes. Um, and then we also get into Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Well, well, this, I, I wanted to kind of finish the conversation on Candyman. Okay. Because I, I asked that question of whether Get Out or Candyman you would consider the best black horror movie. And I think it's a fair point to say, as, as far as a black horror movie goes, Get Out holds the trophy. But I think as a character goes, you don't do better than Candyman. Yes. As in the history of black horror, one character stands above. One character stands above Get Out as the embodiment of the history of black horror. And it is Candyman. Yes, I mean, because he is the embodiment of black horror in terms of horror movies, but black horror in terms of what black people, the horrors they suffered through. Yeah, the real (laughs) history. Yes. The real black horror. That is why he is what he is. He is the spirit of that pain. Yeah. Who simply takes what he wants. He is a romantic figure. While being a horrifying figure. Yeah. He is possessive. He's manipulative. But he is vengeful. And he is completely unhinged. Yeah. But justifiably so. Because of his background. Because of the story you're told about him. You understand well, of course he's doing this. To to have the story he has, the runaway slave falls in love, gets caught, gets burned, gets bees all over him, gets yeah. mutilated, but never quite dies properly, is rebirthed as the spirit of Candyman. Yeah. And keeps coming back to just it's it's enacting revenge but it's simply just inbuilt 
violence at that point of just i am going to tear the world apart like they tore my world apart yeah so anybody that dares even think about me with the hook yeah you're getting you're not gonna forget yeah i watched candy man 92 with my dad not long ago okay and it really annoyed me he liked the movie but he was constantly I was constantly asking, well, how? How's he just died like that? I said, well, Candyman's just killed him. But Candyman's not real. No, Candyman is real. He's the spirit. He's a spirit. But he's not real then. He is real in the movie. He's just a spirit. It's a movie. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) How does he die if he's not real? What if it's all in Helen's head? No, it's not all in Helen's head. No, it's head. actually happening. Out. It's actually happening. Yeah. Candyman's just staging it so Helen thinks it's all in her head. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I had to explain the movie. I don't like it. having to explain. Yeah, just watch it, enjoy it, and then we can talk after. Like, just Although talking. we all agreed that Trevor is, is a boyfriend's name. He's the worst. Terrible. Terrible. He's the worst person ever. I mean, if if for nothing else, painting the apartment that terrible Pepto Bismol pink color, instant death right there. Well, she's not even she's not even dead. She's just got into hospital, and yes. she comes back to see you having with, it off with, with one of your students and repainting the apartment. <laughs> She's not even done anything wrong, Trevor. No, you didn't even back her up even a little bit. He's the worst. Yeah. The but worst. with uh, with Casey Lemons in being in Candyman as well. And I just think Cand- Candyman's such a good movie. Yes. And as a character, what Tony Todd does with Candyman is just so good. on another level. So and I'm good. so... <laughs> there you go. There's a nice He's painting behind you pattern. too. Well, an iteration. <laughs> the newer iteration of Candyman, Yaya Abdul Mateen's Candyman, <laughs> yeah. is here with the bees covering the face. I was so happy that the legacy sequel to Candyman was as good as it was. You can say what you want about the ending of it. We don't like Tony Todd's weird CGI face. We don't like it. I liked it's seeing really him, but it didn't look all that great. Yes, and I and I. It I should will have say just that... been Tony. Why don't they? Why did they just have normal Tony Todd? Yeah. So why do they? So I, I mean, I like that they use the little kind of shadow puppet things to illustrate that there are oh, that different iterations of Candyman and different stories of terror and horror that create these monsters. So I like that idea, but. Yeah, just make it the guy the guy that was crazy and turns Yahya Abdul Mateen into a candy man. I didn't really I well, wish see, I they kind like of that. I like that. I I wish it's it's, it's it's at this point it's a an obsession with the lore of Candyman that some people do have. Yes. So I, I just wish there was more to it than just this guy kind of being obsessed with it. I don't know if I needed like I suppose it does a it does a Halloween twenty eighteen thing. Yeah. Where 
the doctor's just obsessed with Michael Myers. So yeah, so I wish they would have for a little bit. Yes, so I wish they would have found another way to create Yahya into a Candyman aside from just some guy who was obsessed with this and that and the other. You know, I still think it modernizes the whole story. It modernizes all the themes so well. Yeah, and what Yahya Abdul Mateen is doing in that movie is again quite unhinged as a performance he's going for it heavy yeah in that movie when he's painting those just black portraits yeah all crazy because he's, he's just, just mad becoming, yeah he's going he's mad yes and the fact that like you have to take into account he does have a connection to all of this he's that baby he does he's the, he's the kid he's the baby yeah, yeah. he's so, Marie's little kid yes that was in the and the fact that she's back and looks just as good as she looked yeah, i mean she does black 30 years crack. ago <laughs> Um, she, really so the does. Fact she, she literally did not change no she looks exactly the same so yes I love that you know there is that connection so you can easily understand why he you know is the one that needs to make this change into a Candyman figure but um, I just wish there was kind of more to it than just kind of an obsessed like Candyman super fan almost <laughs> But it was nasty, though. Yes, it was nasty. Yes, it, was. it was thematically poignant yes. still. <laughs> it had great kills in there. It looked great. It, I love the disorienting. Because even I was doing, I made a TikTok about different. Because you know, Costa Luke, directs the hell out of that movie. Yes. But even just, it, it's disorienting from the start. Because I was doing this TikTok about the different. Because um, people were doing different, um, the fun, different kind of opening logos, studio logos that come up, depending on what movie you're watching. So like Harry yeah. Potter has the Warner Brothers deteriorating each movie, like that kind of thing. And so I was doing the Universal ones, and I got to Candyman, and they're playing this like happy Candyman song, and the Universal logo is coming in backwards. And then you have the opening Ooh. credits where it's completely upside down. Like you're seeing this, the gentrified city like upside down as you're zooming through as you're getting your opening credits. So already the movie is just so disorienting. And, and when I was editing the video together and I kept editing in the clip and working with the clip of the Candyman, having it coming backwards and hearing this happy Candyman, like it was literally making me nervous and like unsettling. Did you don't use <laughs> like the Candyman as in... Sammy Davis Jr. slash Willy Wonka in the chocolate. Yes, factory. yes, the candy man. And it's just so creepy. And you see it's like dark and the Universal logo's coming in backwards. Yeah. And me just editing that clip into a video I was making for a TikTok was creeping me out. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yes. I mean, we should mention as well before we wrap up the Let's Talk, the fact that Candyman has one of the best horror themes in yes. terms of music, yes, with yes. Philip Glass's Candyman mm -hmm. theme, so it's gothic and romantic, unbelievable. Yeah, yes, yeah. It is. It's, it's the perfect mix of everything with it because it's yeah. got it, it's got pain in there, but it does have romance in there. Yeah, it has a almost a level of class to it that yeah. theme that does come with, like you said, the the kind of weird gothic romance that is prevalent in yeah. Candyman, but obviously is not front and centre. Um, although, be my victim, come to my altar, let's have a bee kiss, and 
you are mine now. In is, Tony Todd's voice, growling. In Tony Todd's voice is yeah. quite romantic. Yes. Apart from good. victim. Be yeah. my... Be my... If he said be my lover instead... Be mine. If he said be mine. Also, be have my they made victim. Candyman Valentine's with like be mine? <laughs> be <laughs> my should victim. Do. <laughs> they should do. I might think about sending one then. If they do that. Be yes. my victim. Not victim though. Please don't be a victim. Yes. Be mine. I'm Candyman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Be I can't be Candyman, Janine. That's not <laughs> no, racially you're, you're just racist Dracula. Um, I'm just racist Dracula. <laughs> but one more movie just to mention. Oh, one uh, more movie, yes. Great um, anthology in Tales oh, from course, the Hood. Of course, of course. Yes. Some later had some kind of ridiculous, silly sequels, but that first film definitely spoke to... Um, issues in black culture and black societies and putting this really cool horror spin on it um and then kind of getting into how your story's told and then circling back to this crazy ending of you yeah. know your characters that you're following being a part of the story all along i think it was just really cool um and and the horror aspects of that movie were so scary the one with the um the councilman or the congressman who's running and um ends up getting murdered by police and then him coming yeah. back that is probably the scariest of the of the the stories in there the creepy dolls like those little slave dolls like so like just so many cool visuals in this movie and all speaking to aspects of black history and black culture i think it was just so smartly told and so creepy and so many cool visuals and really could have come off silly but so much effort to um highlight these black issues and really balance that with some really strong horror elements so yes tales from the hood i think is really really good really really underrated yeah of course it is absolutely <laughs> well what a lovely nice big discussion we've had there <laughs> on the best of black horror we hope to see much more in the future maybe the blackening can become part of that <laughs> yes, conversation definitely it should do, by all accounts there, Janine. By your account, at least, it should do. Yeah. And I like that. A lot of fun. Um, but let's end the show today, as we always like to do. There's some fun and games. We're going to have a bit more fun <laughs> okay. today. Because <laughs> I think the last time I headed fun and games yes. was we did something similar to this which was in our episode when we did our Little Mermaid review. Yes. And I asked you to go through, or I went through every single Disney animated movie, and you gave a little quick instant reaction yes. on it to get your pure, unfiltered thoughts on that movie. So there's no place to hide. You may hate some movies, Janine. You may really like <laughs> some movies that other people do not like. Yeah. What is your opinion? Frozen, for example. Nobody likes Frozen. Frozen's not good. Tangled, on the other hand. Wonderful movie. Everybody likes Tangled. Yes. Some people might be the opposite. Some people might hate Tangled. I don't trust those people. No, I, I love Tangled. They so might. Good. Some people also might like Frozen and sing it all the time. I also don't trust those people if they're over the age of seven. I have friends who love who love 
frozen that are good. Are people, they over the but... age of seven? Yes. <laughs> Do they sing it all the time? They have children. They have children, so you know, it's a little it's bit more forgivable then. We're going to go <laughs> through. This is because we had that trailer for Elio, Pixar's new movie. We're going to go through every Pixar movie, Janine. Okay. There is not as many as Disney animated movies, of course, because Pixar has only been going since 1995. Yes. Not 1937 Oof. with feature length. Yes, that was a long run of questions I got the last time. But It, it, it was. Yes, it was. So we're <laughs> going to start. I want instant, quick reaction okay to every pixar movie and we'll of course start with toy story uh a fun surprise great characters so much fun makes you feel like a kid <laughs> a bug's life <laughs> i'm a bug just a bug yeah, <laughs> um, one of the great versions of uh, seven samurai really do enjoy yes <laughs> Underappreciated movie that a bug's yeah, life it's, it's is. Good. It's good. Toy Story <laughs> Two. Um, liked getting to see Woody's side of the story and then learning that he had a whole history of his own. So that was really fun. I like Toy Story Two. I think Toy yeah. Story Two is 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 really quite good. I've definitely seen Toy Story Two more than I have Toy Story One. Really? Like way more. Okay. Monsters Inc. Uh, I do, I do enjoy Monsters Inc. It's not it's one so I revisit, good. but it's so good and it looks great and it's it's a fun world to be in. I, I do think Monsters Inc. might actually be like my Pixar movie. Okay, I love that when movies kind of are in a different world and you have like human world equivalents to things. So I love that there's all these yes. monster versions of of regular things. Finding Nemo. Uh, super sweet. Great story. It looks beautiful. The Incredibles. The best Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> Still. Yes, love will the style. Be, will it be that in a few years' time? Yeah. Love maybe, that it's, maybe, it's like, maybe. it's very much like Batman the Animated Series having this 50s vibe, but never really tells you when it's set. Yeah. And has yeah, modern elements true. as well. It looks cool. The music, I love the music. Uh, yeah, best fantastic movie. <laughs> Got a very difficult video game. I'd like to point out as well. Oh, PlayStation really? Two licensed video game, incredibly difficult. Never finished it. <laughs> Always go back to it every so often well, and just maybe you find can it so hard. Start your Twitch career and try to. <laughs> No, gotta be no way you'd end up be me going for god's sake throw the damn thing bob what are you doing i'm pressing the button i'm pressing circle four yeah, probably, times bob Pre you'd be, throw the bomb you'd be breaking things probably not a good I idea i would be breaking things i'd be getting annoyed and i don't want to do that cars Mm, very yeah, sk yeah, very skippable reaction. very skippable i've only seen it once and it was fine <laughs> ratatouille uh love ratatouille love the music love the message um anyone can cook and uh beautiful food it always makes me hungry <laughs> gustos yes <laughs> france it's french yes. that's, that, that was french <laughs> um wally 
Wally is also one I don't revisit very much, but it's a sweet movie. It's simple, but yeah. I mean, I think it's overrated because of the because of that first because of that first segment. It's a bit overrated. It's got that great beautiful opening, and then it kind of slows down, and it's not as good. It's not. It's not really that great after that, but a solid general story like i'm excited what to see i Carl's think date. should have done if russell had anything about him would be not such a goody goody i'm the best boy scout ever or whatever he is wilderness explorer yeah and all the balloons he should have got a little pea shooter and just shot all his just, balloons just spat all his balloons down <laughs> no that is terrible well, yes, I do enjoy it. Is it is terrible, yes, it it's is. It's a great adventure story. It's a great dynamic between this old man and, you know, learning to live Annoying again from Russell. this little boy. Yes, but, you know, overrated because of that great opening. Toy Story 3. Perfect. I cry every time I watch it. It's so good. good. It's, it it's really, good. it's a really good send-off. Not really, but supposed to be sent off of i it guess andy be. it should have always been the good send off to andy yeah <laughs> essentially nah. yeah milking everything for all it's worth pixar disney's fault really not pixar you can't blame yeah. pixar at this point it's disney's fault toy story 3 it being perfect according to janine there he's followed up by cars 2 nope i don't care <laughs> no don't care at all don't barely remember it boring Ooh. Oh. Brave. <laughs> Scotland. Brave is fine. Merida's like cool princess, but not one that I'm always keen to revisit. I'm like, it's fine. Scotland. Meh. Scotland. People from Scotland hate you now. Okay. Monsters University. <laughs> I really love this movie. I'm sorry. I think it's funny. I love even though they don't really pay attention to the continuity of Monsters, Inc., which is annoying. <laughs> but um, I love the college aspect. I think that's a really smart way to kind of see earlier versions of these characters, the the, the games that they have to play, the bond that they form, uh, very much Revenge of the Nerds without all the perfect elements <laughs> and, and great kind of collegiate feeling music. It's it's a lot of fun. I really do. I love Monsters Inc. more than most people, or Monsters University also, more than most also, people. Janine Janine really loves Monsters University, I and do. that's followed by Inside Out. <sighs> I have Janine this complicated. <laughs> I hated it for so long because yes, I understand what it's trying to say. I understand how emotions work. I understand it's so that. good. I understand. I thought it was really smart in terms of depicting how you know happiness is rolled into sadness. You have this happy memory, but then when you leave it and you leave those people in that memory, and it's touched by sadness now because when you think of it, it's now sad. But it was just so hard to see Phyllis run amok, <laughs> touch everything, and make this poor little girl have a mental breakdown. It was just very hard to watch that and was making me very angry. So, like, for the first, like, 20 minutes, I'm seeing sadness just touch everything and torture this poor little girl, and then I'm checked out because I'm like, no, leave Riley alone. <laughs> so, for a long time, I hated this movie because of that, but I had to kind of sit with it and realize that, yes, that is truly how emotions work, and 
sadness some touches people have things. mental breakdowns Janine. and people do have mental breakdowns so yes i i'm fully aware of what it's supposed to signify in terms of sadness touching everything but it just was upsetting me that this poor girl was getting tortured. So I've since come around to Inside Out to be a beautiful way to illustrate emotions to young people. Good. I'm glad <laughs> you I have. hated it for a long time. <laughs> what about the good dinosaur? They're falling asleep. That's okay. That's fine, Randy. What about Finding Dory? I thought it was a good follow-up. It kind of got a little all over the place, but um, seeing Dory's story and her finding her family and that whole thing, I think was really sweet. And I liked the new characters we met. So not bad. Not bad. Okay. What about Cars 3? Absolutely not. No. No, just, just that face. Okay. Um. Well, Thankfully, that's followed up by Coco. This is my favorite Pixar movie of all time. Love Coco. It's beautiful. It's magical. It's incredibly emotional. I watched it with my, I had my mom watch it for the first time on the Day of the Dead, and she was getting way into it and shouting at the TV and having so much fun with it. So, um, and my mom never we'll watched have to sing the like song. That, so. We'll have to sing the song now. Remember, remember me. <laughs> yes. Though I have to travel far, remember me. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Yes, it's, it's, it's so good. It it's, is it's my phenomenal. favorite Pixar movie. Um, Incredibles 2. I thought it was a solid follow-up. It was good to see these characters again. I like that now it was Helen going out and being doing the hero work and him having to stay at home with the kids and him being stressed and frustrated, but doing that for his lady and uh, just good dynamic between the two of them and seeing her kind of get to be in the action. Um, predictable villains for the most part, but overall yeah. a solid follow-up. Toy Story 4. While I don't think this movie should exist, I actually really enjoyed it. I think the new characters they brought in were a lot of fun. Like Forky is so funny. The fact that he's like, <laughs> he's so funny. The fact that he's no, just he's constantly, not. I'm garbage <laughs> trying to throw himself in the trash is just hilarious to me. I hated that all of our toys, This, if this is truly the final film, you really sidelined all of our toys to doing nothing, which was really uh, such a bummer. But I loved kind of getting this you know full circle because the movies alluded to this the whole time that this was woody's purpose so i like that they tied up his purpose uh with this final movie and made it make sense to who the character was showing us he was in all of these movies so i like that is, it's not the final movie is it because there's gonna be a fifth one. Oh yes yeah i forgot about that but yes this is the getting, problem. getting to see woody just kind of embody and finally realize his purpose after him showing us that for all of these movies made a lot of sense i didn't like how our old lovable characters were sidelined but the new characters that they did bring in were fun combat carl by play, voiced by carl weathers was fun uh duke kaboom keanu reeves was great uh i loved the creepy doll villain and her dummy dolls those were really creepy as well yeah. ducky and bunny were a lot of fun so all the new characters that came in i think were a lot of fun and crafted a great story i just didn't like how the rest of our beloved characters were sidelined onward it's fine it was fine. Like a good father's son story. A, a, a nice emotional ending, but kind of forgettable for me. 
this might be the era of fine soul. Yeah. Frustrating. I mean, there was one line in there that had me like when uh, uh, Tina Fey is in the black Wait, man's that, body. Explain that sing signal you just gave for audio only listeners. Yeah, um, you know, just a fist for my people. Yourself. <laughs> a fist for my people. <laughs> no, a, a, mo a moment that was just like, yes, I get it, Black people, was when Tina Fey is in his body and he goes to take a shower and <laughs> him, as the cat, says, don't forget to put on lotion. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> that was okay. very good. But other than that, the movie was just annoying. <laughs> so the one good line in Soul, okay. That's, yes, that's and fun. I watched it back to back with Wonder Woman 84, so that just made it even more frustrating because they came out on the same day, like Christmas times. So it was just... Uh... <laughs> Luca. It was cute. It was cute. It I never saw okay. Luca. That was the fish one or the mermaid one. Yes, but you you like Ethan, so I'm surprised you haven't watched it. I know that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yes, a good kind of discrimination story <laughs> happening with Okay. Yeah. Turning red. Love turning red. The fact that it's like very much taken place in an era where I was a teenager, a young girl growing up and loving boy bands and giggling with your friends and all of that. Just just the era, the vibe of it, the kind of quick pace of it, the anime vibes of it. Just so fun. Absolutely love turning red. And because we haven't seen Elemental yet, this is technically the last one. Lightyear. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that it was, it was, it confused itself, and so it confused it everyone confuse else itself. in terms of this is the movie that Andy watched to make him love this character. But then it's like, okay, well then, how come none of these other characters got toys? Like, like the <laughs> obvious one that should be the toy. Yeah. Which is what is his name? The cat. Socks, the cat. <laughs> yes. So it just made no like, sense with the continuity on. of the character and all of that, and. It was just really and, a and, weird, and confusing. Buzz Lightyear's best friend, who he goes back to, I forget the name of now, the woman. Yeah. Where is like, she? Where's, where's her, her toy? toy? Yeah. It just. And why does Zerg get a toy when Zerg's not really Zerg? And Zerg that is him, and it's well. this whole thing. Yeah, it was just. It just it was just confusing. So it was okay, but just the the confusion it had with explaining itself and fitting into the continuity of Toy Story just confused things and muddled it a little too much. So. Well, there we go. Fun and games of Pixar <laughs> yes. with quick little thoughts on the the entirety of Pixar's output over the last twenty eight. Years, oh, yes. That's how long it's been. That is how long it's been. There we go for this episode of Monday Madness. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. We always like to have fun here on this show, but it is not the only show we have on the It's Wonderful podcast feed. If you are listening to this, um, and it's not the only thing we have on this YouTube channel, if you are watching, um click the subscribe button, ding the notification bell on this YouTube channel for all the fun stuff we have here. And of course, subscribe to the It's a Wonderful podcast feed on all major podcast platforms, wherever you are listening to this. If you are not watching our faces move around today, 
We do also have Morgan Hasn't Seen, and it's a wonderful podcast on Wednesdays and Fridays for you to check out as well. Celebrating old movies on a Friday, Janine forces me to watch things I've never seen before every Wednesday. That is how those work. This show, of course, most Mondays um, here when we can. We try. We've been going just over a year, and this is episode 47, so there's been a few weeks. Yes. Where we've missed, clearly. Although we did have, I believe, a purposeful break over Christmas. Yes. So <laughs> that wasn't necessarily an enforced break. Um but yes, I think I think that's all I have to say. There are things scrolling down at the bottom of the screen if you are watching um for the other shows. If you would like to support us on Patreon or donate in any way, there are links in the description to go and do that because we can't do what we do without that generous support. We love yes. all our It's a Wonderful podcast patrons so very dearly. We um, do. You can, of course, just find us on social media as well, on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter, not at Dracula, but at the purple dot <laughs> with three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Don, all your black horror loving stuff is where. <laughs> you can find me Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the scrolling bar or the description for the link. Or you can search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. We have some really fun designs, some fun Stranger Things designs, some logos for all of our shows. So please check it out. And if you want to purchase any of my art in print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Well, there we go, Janine. Could you please do, if you can, an impression of the best black horror character ever? I cannot. I know, that's yes, hard. I cannot do a Tony talk. Yes, you can. <laughs> I cannot do that voice. The boom, the boom. Three. <laughs> Two. <laughs> One. It was a good attempt to I tried so low. Bye. Bye. Bye.